Thank you for joining me again on the Real Biblical Application Podcast. If you uh, are watching this, you can tell that we have some different surroundings now. Uh, I, I have put down some semi-permanent roots here in Oklahoma City and have a, a studio that we can record this podcast in. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the evangelist. We're going to be talking about the role of the evangelist and several things that are encompassed inside this role. We're going to be talking about, first off, what is evangelist? What does that term even mean? Uh, We're going to be talking about um, the appointment of an evangelist. How does one become an evangelist? We're going to be talking about the support of an evangelist. How uh, should an evangelist be supported or paid? with wages. We're also going to be talking about uh, the general work that evangelists do. What what are they supposed to be doing and how do they function within the the larger uh, corporate body of a congregation? So this is kind of the roadmap. I don't know if this is going to be one episode or multiple episodes at this point. I'm going to try to sit down and record it all in one episode, Uh, but if it gets lengthy, then I'm going to break it up a little bit for you guys. But before we dive in, I want to start by reading from Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. There it says, How then are they to call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without a preacher? But how are they to preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Yes, preachers have beautiful feet, as it says here in Romans 10, 14 through 15. So I want to start from the beginning. And when I say from the beginning, I literally mean from the beginning. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on this earth... He created many things. He created the waters, the mountains, the the plants, the animals. And ultimately, in this place called Eden, he put two people, Adam and Eve, who were his image bearers in this world. They were his representation in this world. And they were given uh, special and distinct roles to play within the world. They were given dominion. They were given responsibility. They were to tend to the plants and the animals that were around them. And responsibility and dominion can only be given by one who is greater than they. You can't say, you can't give someone authority that you yourself uh, do not possess. (laughs) And so uh, God was able to give mankind this dominion and responsibility to tend over the earth. The issue is, is that they sinned. And this close, intimate, and personal relationship that God once had with his image bearers uh, was fragmented. There was a wedge placed between man and God. Our, Our sin separates us from God. And God's desire, ever since that time, 
has been to redeem the world back to him. That's been the plan from the very beginning. And we could dive more into that and maybe um, sometime we will dive deeper into the much larger biblical narrative. But this idea that God's desire is to redeem this fallen world back to him and so that he might be all in all. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his exaltation as king, he has been given dominion and power and authority over everything in heaven and on earth. Efforts are being put forth through Christ and through the assistance of the Holy Spirit and the boots on the ground, which is us who are Christians, to accomplish these desires that God has to be all in all and to have the world redeemed back to him. And so Christ, what he did was he gave gifts to the church to accomplish these lofty goals. So in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says there, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is really a beautiful picture of what Christ has done. He's given these gifts to the church, these these roles, these positions to be filled to help accomplish this lofty goal of making God all in all and redeeming the world back to him. So Christ himself would choose people to serve in these capacities in the church. And the purpose is stated here in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, not all of these roles are still in place, and that's a study in and of itself, but I don't believe there's still apostles. I don't believe there's still prophets. But I do believe that there are still evangelists, there are pastors, and there are teachers today. The apostles and prophets served specific roles in the early church. But anyways, the point of all these roles and all these positions are stated here as to equip the the people, the people being those who are Christians, for works of service, to build up the body, to reach unity of faith, to grow in knowledge of the Son of God, to become mature, to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is Christ's desire for the church, and this is what these roles are trying to accomplish. So this is the goal of Christ and the goal of his bride. This is what we want as well. And for a congregation to not be striving for these things, for maturity, if they're not trying to build up the body, if they're not trying to reach unity in the faith, if they're not trying to equip the people for works of service, if they, are, if they do not have elders, if they do not have deacons, if they do not have evangelists, they need these roles because these people are for these purposes. The purpose is to equip the body and to help them reach the fullness of and the whole measure of Christ. That's the goal. And so for a congregation to say, 
I don't need elders, or we don't need elders, or to say, we don't need teachers, or to say, we don't need an evangelist, is to deny a gift that Christ gave the church to accomplish these goals. And so may we never say that we don't need these things, because Christ obviously said that we did. That's why he gave these positions and roles as gifts to the church. He wants congregations to have these roles. And these roles never fall out of necessity. Some people um, will say that an evangelist role is to work his way out of a job. And what they mean by that is the evangelist job is to work until he has appointed elders and deacons and uh, these types of offices within the congregation, and then his work is done. That's not the case. Even after elders and deacons and uh, these other roles are appointed within the congregation, the work of the evangelist is still necessary. And so we'll get into that more in just a second. Now, first, before we dive into the work of the evangelist, I think we need to understand what the word evangelist means. Where does this word come from? Where do we get this word? So I think the place to start with the role of the evangelist is actually to start with the gospel itself. And you may wonder, why is it? Why would we start with the gospel to understand the evangelist? And that's because the word evangelist, euangelistes, is actually the verb form of gospel, uh, which is euangelion. So to proper under, properly understand what the evangelist is and what his role is, we need to understand what the gospel is, since evangelist is just the verb form of that noun, gospel. And so what is the gospel? Now, I have a, a whole podcast defining what the gospel is. So I'm just going to give you the SparkNotes version of this, but if you want to have a deeper study of what the gospel is, I would recommend going and checking out that podcast that I did on it. But just to make it brief, the Jews were expecting a Messiah. This was their expectation. They were uh, waiting for the Messiah to come. And this Messiah, he would be a king, he would establish a kingdom, and he would put all the nations under his feet. This was the expectation that all the Jews were waiting for, and that's obviously exciting. You could see why they were anxiously and eagerly awaiting this Messiah. So their expectation was also that this Messiah would bring good news. Um, this is exactly what John the Baptist proclaimed. He proclaimed the good news. Jesus proclaimed the good news. And what is that good news? That's what we're asking. What is the good news? What is the gospel? And the good news is that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Messiah, that he fulfilled the story of uh, the Israelite people, that he was the long-awaited one, and now he, and that he now reigns as king. So in... Um, Mark 1, 14 through 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this is a good definition of the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe 
in the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is king and Lord and that the kingdom is at hand. And now the kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. It's been established. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 27, it says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom, that he being Christ, delivers the kingdom of God or kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, that is Christ, then the Son himself will also be subjected to, subjected to him, that is God, who put all things in subjection under him, that is Christ, uh, that God may be all in all. So that may have all sounded confusing, but just to lay it out simply, Christ is reigning as king, and he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. And when he has accomplished that, the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. When he's accomplished that, he's going to hand over the kingdom to God, who gave the authority to him. And that way, God can be all in all on this earth. And that's a wonderful, beautiful picture of the kingdom. And so, just simply, the gospel is the good news of Christ's reign. And that he will reign until he puts all enemies under his feet and returns the kingdom to God. So God will be all in all. Okay, so we got that out of the way. That's what the gospel is. And you may think that that's kind of off off topic, but in a second it will make sense. So what does the word evangelist mean? We we talked about how this this word evangelist, euangelistes, is just the verb form of gospel. The evangelist is a proclaimer of the good news. Uh, He is a person who spreads the gospel or the good news that Jesus is king and Jesus is Lord. In Roman times, the evangelists, or not the evangelists, the Romans, sorry, had these heralds that would go into the city and proclaim good news to the town. So uh, if Rome had won a great victory, they might go in and proclaim, we've won a great victory, or maybe it's Caesar's birthday, and he'll go out there and say, uh, you know, today is Caesar's birthday, or maybe Caesar has been victorious and submit to Caesar, whatever it may be. It's good news that this herald would be tasked with proclaiming to the town. This is kind of what John the Baptist did. He, he, he proclaimed, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus proclaimed, the kingdom is at hand. And then the apostles would go proclaim the same thing, except they would say, Jesus is now king. Jesus is Lord, and he's now reigning. And this is what the evangelist does. He proclaims that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is king for, uh, to the world. So how does one become one of these evangelists, a proclaimer of the good news, a literal verb form of the gospel? <laughs> Uh, how do you become that? Do you go to a seminary school? Do you uh, do you train under someone? I think that's probably closer to accurate. 
Uh, we don't see any examples of seminary schools in the Bible, but what we do see is young men, and it doesn't have to be a young men, but just men training underneath other uh, uh, other men who already do the job. So you have Paul training Luke, and you have him training Timothy and Titus and uh, Silas. You have Paul training these men. You, you have uh, John Mark who uh, trained with Paul for a short stint, uh, but but then later trained more extensively with Barnabas. So you have these men who are training for roles of service within the church. And that, that's, I think, closer to how an evangelist should be trained, not by going to a seminary school to sit in a class and do these assignments. And once he's shown that he can you know, ace a test, then he he's now fit to be an evangelist. I think it's more extensive than that. And I think uh, you can't gauge whether someone is ready for the task just simply by their knowledge. And so evangelists are not an evangelist just because of their knowledge. They're actually appointed to the role, which takes me to my next point. What how is someone appointed to the task of being an evangelist? Is it a li- lifelong assignment? In other words, they're appointed, or that you might say they graduate as an evangelist, and then they just serve in that capacity the rest of their life? Or is it something that has an expiration date on it of some point? I want to start, whenever we dive into this, to let everyone know that we all have a role to play in the church. A congregation that expects an evangelist to carry the bulk of the responsibility within the church is not fulfilling what Christ has in mind for the church. What Christ has in mind is a body of believers who are full of different talents, different abilities, who are going to use those abilities for the benefit of the kingdom. The picture is never, let's bring in a preacher, or let's bring in a pastor, or let's bring in an evangelist and let him do everything. That is never the picture. And we need to understand that. Because many people do kind of think that way, whether they would verbalize it that way or not, that mindset is prevalent. Uh, they think that all they need in order to be successful is an evangelist to come in and preach to the community, and then they're going to grow and they're going to uh, mature. And they will also say, uh, they'll kind of gauge whether they are a quote-unquote successful congregation based on their numbers. Well, the numbers do not dictate uh a congregation's success. I would rather see a congregation's success be gauged on the maturity of the members, not the number of people within the congregation. You can have a large congregation full of babes in Christ, and it could not be viewed as success. Or you could have a small congregation uh, full of strong, steadfast men and women who have matured in the faith and that can be success within your congregation. So I would rather it be the, the, the latter that you have a congregation, big or small, who are just steadfast and strong in the faith and mature in the faith and are properly applying scriptures to their life. Maturity also is not Bible knowledge. One can have a, 
an immense amount of Bible knowledge, but be very immature in the faith. Even even an atheist could have a bunch of Bible knowledge, but be uh, obviously not applying the Word of God to his life. Um, and it's the same for you know a theologian or a scholar. Just because they have the Bible knowledge doesn't mean that they're a mature Christian. Maturity comes from the wisdom and the ability to apply Scripture to your life. And so I say that to say this. Far too many congregations are content with putting the responsibilities on a man within the congregation, whether that be the evangelist or the elders or uh, even a deacon or something like that. They expect him to carry the weight, and what they're going to do is they're going to come and worship um, and not ask, hey, what can I do with my talents and abilities that might complement what you're doing? Or maybe I'm going to do my own thing to benefit the kingdom uh, and serve with my talents and abilities. We all need to be finding ways to do that. Uh, We also need to recognize, in view of the fact that we all have these different talents and we all have these different abilities, is that not everyone is an evangelist. Now, evangelist is a specific role within the church. And let's just take this body analogy that uh, we are all members of one body and we all serve a different function within that body. We, if the evangelist was a hand, uh, it wouldn't make sense for the whole body to be hands. That would not be a very uh, good functioning body. So an evangelist serves a specific role within the church, and maybe it is a hand or maybe you know, it's an ear or a nose. I don't know what an evangelist is on the body. I guess it depends on the person. <laughs> but the point is, is that not everyone is an evangelist. Evangelists are chosen by God to serve in that role. And I'm going to explain more in a second about what that means to be chosen by God. But they serve a specific purpose, and not everyone can serve that purpose, and not everyone qualifies to serve that purpose within the church. When we look at Timothy, who is an example of an evangelist in the Bible, we see in Acts 16, verse 2, that he possessed certain qualities. He he had certain characteristics that the congregation took notice of. It says here that he was well spoken of by those who were at Lystra and those who were at Iconium. Timothy had a good reputation. He had a reputation of being a godly man. He he had a certain way that he carried himself. He distinguished himself from others in the way uh, that he carried himself and that he was a man who was fit for service in the capacity and the role of the evangelist. And so it wasn't that he had just learned all the stuff. It was that he carried himself in a certain way. So being an evangelist or being qualified for that service requires more than just Bible knowledge, more than just being able to craft sermons even. Just because a young man can craft a sermon and can answer all the Bible trivia questions, that does not make him fit to be an evangelist. More than being an eloquent speaker, just because someone is a great speaker from a pulpit, that doesn't mean that he's fit to be an evangelist. 
even Paul himself, he the Corinthians complained that he was not an eloquent speaker. And so eloquence of speech is not a qualification for an evangelist. And so if you are considering that you would like to become an evangelist and you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not a great speaker. I, I don't do great in front of big crowds or anything like that. I don't know if I'm qualified or fit to be an evangelist. Well, just know that eloquence of speech is not a qualification for an evangelist, and you can still be fit for that role and that service. Thanks again for taking time out of your day to listen to the Real Biblical Application podcast. If you have any questions about the discussion that was had today, please email me at realbiblicalapplication at gmail.com. And remember, keep on learning and finding ways to apply the Word of God to your life.